0: Today we're continuing in our series Meals with Jesus, and if you're just joining us for the first time, what we're walking through over the next six weeks are a number of meals that Jesus had with his followers and various people, and we're, we're learning about who Jesus is, what his desires were, where he was focusing his attention, what his heart is for people around these meals and and you know this anybody a foodie or just love to eat okay three of us are healthy and eating (laughs) meals there's something that's that's there's something that's special about sitting down and sharing a meal with with friends or family or maybe with somebody you don't know there's something there's something powerful that happens when you eat food together so I think the most meaningful conversations we tend to have happen in the kitchen around making food, right? You, you start processing life. There's things that when you sit down and you actually take the time, I think we're, we live in a, a time where things are moving so fast, we don't do this very well anymore, but when you sit down to take an hour or two hours or three hours to share life with people, it's amazing what you find out. You may learn things about, about your friends, people who you've said, these are my friends, and you may hear a story from them that you've never heard before, or maybe you, you hear something from your friend and you go, I had no idea. <laughs> or maybe you share a story and they go, my goodness, I, that's news to me. I didn't know that. This, ha- this tends to happen around sharing a meal when we slow down. I've had a, a lot of moments like this over the years. One that's forever etched in my memory is uh, a meal that I had with Katie, my, my wife, before we were married. And uh, we, let's see we, we ate down at Kate's restaurant, which is a Greek restaurant in Everett, and it was our third uh, date. she wasn't calling it a date. I was calling it a date. and so what I perceived to be happening was there was some level of a progression that was happening here. We did coffee, we moved to coffee to, to, to lunch at Kate's, and I'm thinking, this is so great. She's great. I, I'm at least doable, like I'm, I'm a, agreeable on some level, and so maybe, maybe this is moving in a direction where we'll build a relationship. And so we get to this restaurant, and it's a Greek restaurant, and my true colors come out. I order a cheeseburger and french fries at a Greek restaurant. And then I'm like, what are the gyros? And she's like, that's Euro. And I'm like, that's, that's my story. And so we're ordering a meal, and, and even with those things, it still seems like this is good. Like It's moving in a direction that's great. And we get to the end of the meal, and Katie says, um, I have something that, I, that I'd like to talk to you about. And I'm thinking, great, I have something that I want to talk to you about. Like, maybe this can be a little more exclusive relationship, you know? And she says, um, I, he, I, I, I don't want you to be confused about what's going on here. Um, I'm actually not interested in a relationship with you. And I'm sorry if like coffee and this has made you think that. That's actually not what's happening here. And, and I'm going to appreciate it if, if moving forward, we only do things in groups of people. I got friend-zoned crazy by Katie, like in the beginning. Now, obviously, we're married. A couple years later, I think maybe we discovered things like maybe he's not as crazy as I thought maybe he was, and it's a long story. We're married happily now, right? That's great. But in the beginning, I was thinking, this is moving in a direction where we're going to get into a relationship, and in her mind, she was moving in the other direction, saying this is not going to happen. So what I had eyes to see, she was not seeing. And what she had eyes to see, I was not seeing. Are you tracking with me? This kind of thing happens all the time. All the time. Think about it in your workplace when you're working on a project or something is heading in a certain direction at work and then it takes a hard right and you're like, where did that come from? Maybe it's a boss or a coworker, and something just like weird takes place. You're like, I did not see that coming. Or maybe with your, your spouse or your significant other. Um, Maybe that maybe there's been moments where you haven't seen eye to eye, where, where you looked at a situation and thought, this is the solution to this, and your spouse looks at the same situation, and it has a completely different perspective. This happens with our friends, this, and this also happens, this happens in our relationship with God, where there's ways that we think see things, uh, and there's a way that he sees things, and they're different. And we just read this in, in the prophets, right, that, that they were speaking on behalf of God and they were acknowledging to the people, you have eyes to see, but you can't see. You have ears to hear, but you're not actually hearing. And we're going to see a, a, another example of this in the meal we'll look at today. Turn with me to Luke chapter 7, if you have your Bible your phone. Luke chapter 7, we'll start in verse 36. Uh, this this is, is pretty far into the ministry of Jesus, just for context. So he's, he's a known person. There's plenty of people that are excited about what Jesus is doing because there's healing that's happening. And so people who are hurting, they're flocking to Jesus. There's crowds that are happening. The religious people by this point are, are a little agitated with what Jesus is bringing, and they're, they're kind of combating what he's trying to accomplish. And so all of this is going on around the story and last week, we talked about a story with a Pharisee, and we highlighted the tension between the Pharisees and Jesus. They were trying to stop what he was doing, and so their relationship wasn't great, which, which makes this story unique, because here's the story, Luke 7, 36. It says, One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Again, it's worth noting that that for a Pharisee and Jesus to be together often meant conflict was going to be happening because the Pharisees were constantly looking for ways to trap Jesus and what he said and what he did. They They were actively trying to stop the teaching and the movement that Jesus was beginning to build. And so they would lure him in. And even in this case, sometimes they'd invite him into a meal and ask questions to try to trap him in his words. But there's a couple of stories in the the Gospels that are different. Where the Pharisees uh, weren't trying to trap him, they were actually interested in what Jesus had to bring. An example of this is in John chapter 3, Nicodemus. He comes to Jesus at night which is funny because the, the Pharisee understands that if he's having a conversation with Jesus, his Pharisee buddies are going to think, what are you doing? We don't, we're not associating with that guy. So he comes to Jesus at night to ask him genuine questions. He sees that Jesus is actually changing things. And he wants to understand more about who he is. And so he comes to him. I think the same thing is happening in this story. This Pharisee, from my perspective, I think he's interested in what Jesus has to say. He's, he's genuinely curious About what Jesus has to offer. And so he has them over for dinner. And the text says that they reclined at the table. Uh, Lexi, uh, who's in our church, she helped kind of put together this little display today because uh, when we think of having a meal together, or you invite friends over for a meal, if we were to say, we sat down for a meal. That's literally what we mean. We would sit at a table in a sitting position and we would share a meal, kind of looking at each other in the face. This is very different. That's that's what we understand as sitting at a table. In the first century, that's not really how they shared meals. They they literally reclined at a table, and that's what this is here for. So when they would when they would get together, the table was very low to the ground, and there was pillows that were surrounding the table. And they would recline, like I am right now, with kind of one elbow propping themselves up, and the other hand they would use to eat. And their feet, which were stanky and nasty, because they walked around in sandals in the dusty uh, environment of Israel, they, it was, they kept them far from the food, let's just say. And so they would recline this way, where their head was at the table, they were laying down, and their feet are about as far away from the table as could be. And they would kind of line up. So there's other texts in the Gospels where it says the disciples kind of leaned back onto Jesus' chest. That's why that was possible. They were laying next to each other. And so to lean back, it's not really, if you picture doing that at your dinner table, it takes a little more work. Not here. So this is the scene. Jesus, he's reclining at the table with this Pharisee, and they're sharing... A meal. And here's what happens. Verse 37. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, if we were, again, if we were to read this in a 21st century lens, it's like, where is this woman? Is she under the table? She's not under the table, right? If Jesus is laying down, this woman has the courage to enter this room where this meal is taking place and she comes to the feet of Jesus, which would have looked something like this. He's laying down and she begins to weep. And she begins to use her hair to wipe his feet and anoint his feet with with oil. This is the picture. Here's how the Pharisee responds. And and note, once again, it appears that he's trying to figure out Jesus. There's a curiosity here. I don't necessarily hear this as condemnation. But verse 39, it says, Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus, answering, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Which when when Jesus, the Lord of the universe, the creator of all things, says, Calls you by name and says, I have something to say to you. That's the moment where you put your seatbelt on because you're about to go for a ride. He's about to teach you something. That's what's happening in this story. Simon, I've got something that I want to say. And, and again, the, Simon appears receptive because he says in the text and he answered, Say it, teacher. Continue is the language. Verse 41 A, a certain moneylender, here's the story Jesus tells. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed him 500 denari, and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then, turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? Now, this for Simon, I mean, is this a rhetorical question? Like, do I see? Do I see? Yeah. I think Simon may have been thinking, at least in his processing that we see, he may have been wondering the same thing. Jesus, do you see this woman? Yet Jesus asked him, do you see this woman? He's like, of course I see her. She's at your feet. That's what I'm trying to process. Jesus says, do you see him? And it's obviously a setup question, which Jesus was great at. He's like, to tell a story and set somebody up and, and reveal a truth about them or about the story that was going on? He's incredibly gifted because he's God. Um, but this is one of those situations, as we read about with the prophets, where He was seeing. He had eyes to see. But he was not seeing. Yes, he could see the woman, but he couldn't see the woman. Are you with me? And Jesus is going to help him see differently. Again, like all the prophets earlier, who said, you have eyes to see, but you do not see. And this is where it gets good. He doesn't just help him see the woman. He helps him see a lot of things. Continuing, here's what he says to Simon. He says, I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, which would have been a customary kind of hospitable thing. When somebody came in off the dusty roads, you would offer to have their feet cleaned before they reclined at your table. So he tells him, when I came in, you didn't. You didn't offer water for my feet, but, but she, she's, she's wet my feet with tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, which again is a customary greeting. You, you gave me no kiss when I walked in the door, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven for she has loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now I'd love to know a little bit more about Simon's processing after this meal (laughs) because we don't we don't necessarily see the what happened with Simon directly after this meal but it's probably safe to say that this meal had an impact on him you would hope you would hope that that as Jesus revealed some things to him that he would have walked away maybe looking at things differently than when he sat down at the table And there's kind of, in our walk with Jesus, I think it's very similar. When when Jesus begins to reveal things to us, there's a couple of ways we can respond. One way is to kind of go, ah, and close in and callous our hearts and say, that was weird. And not have any, have, have his words have any impact. And the other way is to go, whoa, maybe I'm not seeing clearly and he's helping direct me. And we open our hearts. Simon, at one level, would have had his perspective changed. And this is what Jesus said he would do. If you, if you go back to the beginning of the story when Jesus showed up, um, particularly in Luke 4, he walks into the synagogue at the very beginning of his ministry in his hometown, and he, and he opens the scroll to Isaiah the prophet, and he reads from Isaiah the prophet these words, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the who? To the blind. Now Jesus physically healed eyes, but it was bigger than a physical healing for many. He was opening eyes. He was helping people see. To set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He came with with good news that was changing things. And so what did he help Simon the Pharisee see, and and this is the application side for us. When we engage with this story, this meal with Jesus, as we think about Simon's experience and and the other people that are in this story, what do we walk away with? Are there things that Jesus is saying to us through this story? First thing uh, is that Jesus helped Simon see himself. At the beginning of this narrative, we we get some perspective on what Simon is observing. And and one of the first things that we pick up on is that he's observing that Jesus must not be a prophet. Because if Jesus was a prophet, he would understand who was at his feet, and he wouldn't have her at his feet. You see this in the story. Simon is is seeing this and going, uh, if this guy is something, he's definitely not a prophet. Because a prophet would act differently. Second thing that we see in his processing is the way he views the woman. She's not somebody, if this guy is a prophet, if this guy is anything special, this lady, this sinner, this woman of the city, she shouldn't be anywhere near him. She doesn't even belong at this table. She shouldn't even be in this house. Notice that when Jesus responds, he doesn't respond to Simon by proving his prophetic powers, although he reads his mail a little bit. But Jesus doesn't be like, hey, I'm going to tell you what you had for breakfast yesterday to prove who I am. That's not what he does. He tells him a parable. He gives him a story to help lead him into a truth, which is what the parables are. He's trying to help this man see. Simon, in the story, saw himself as good, and he saw the woman as bad. When Jesus addresses Simon, what's interesting is he helps Simon see all the ways that he missed it, and he helps him see all the ways that she was getting it right. Are you with me? He flips the script on this guy. This guy's trying to help Jesus understand who he's around and he's like, hold up a second. Let's, let's talk about your life. Let me, let me just highlight a couple of things. When I walked in here, my, you didn't clean my feet. You didn't annoy You didn't give me a customer Like, if we're going to start doing this, Let's do that, but let's talk about you. He helps Simon see himself. This is what's happening in the story. And I I think that Jesus is so gracious and so patient and so kind. This is the work that he does with us as we live out our life with him. He really helps us see who we are and who he is. And it is an ongoing, formative, transformative process. And and we are, are pretty good I, I'll just speak for me, I am pretty good at identifying problems. I am not as good at self-reflection. Anybody else? Here's how this kind of works. I think this is kind of the world we live in, too. Um, I've used this illustration before, but we're pretty good. I'll try not to blind too many of you. Uh, We're pretty good at navigating life and seeing all of the things that are wrong with the people that we live life with. If you're married, you might have some practice with this. Uh, If you have friends, you probably have practice. If you live, you have practice. (laughs) When you go to the grocery store, when you're driving down the street, when you run into somebody shopping, you you have an incredible ability to identify, goodness sakes, uh, look at all the things that are wrong in the people that are around me. And we try to help people see that. Like, can you just look in the mirror? If you would just look in the mirror, then you would see what's going on and you would have an idea of how your behavior and your activity is affecting me. Would you, Katie, okay, so Katie knows when, a lot of things, (laughs) but Katie can, she can pick up on the condition of my heart based on how I am talking about people while I'm driving the car. (laughs) Is that too real? Like, sometimes I'll be driving, and I'm just, like, harsh with everything that I see. And Katie understands, like, you got some stuff going on under the surface. What Jesus does in this story, and and what I think we get to do, really, as a community of faith, is, is Simon is doing this. Look at all the things that this woman is and the things that she's doing. And Jesus does this. He says, you want to talk? Let's talk. Let's look at a few things. And I think he actually invites all of us to do that. I think he invites all of us to do some self-reflecting and he wants to help all of us see ourselves clearly. But this can be a little bit overwhelming. You know when you're truly looking in the mirror and you see what's there That's why we don't do it very well. It's a heck of a lot easier to do this. Let's spend more time doing this. He helped Simon see himself. There was only one righteous person at at dinner that evening, and it wasn't Simon. Which leads to my second point. Jesus helped Simon see the need for forgiveness. I don't don't doubt that Simon in the story and and most of the the Pharisees in the story around Jesus um, were, were truly trying to honor God with their lives. Even though they were a little bit distorted, they gave everything to the things that they believed. And I don't doubt that they were trying to help Jesus understand things, they were trying to help Jesus see clearly. Either that or they were trying to just shut him down. We're going to imprison you or we're going to kill you or we're going to change the way you're doing things so that it matches more the way we want things done. What Simon really needed in this story was to acknowledge, wait, I could be missing it too. Maybe I've got it wrong. Maybe my perspective is off. Maybe my vision is distorted. And in doing that, he could receive what Jesus came to offer, which is what they have a conversation about. Who is this guy who can forgive sins? (laughs) Simon needed forgiveness because he'd missed the mark. And again, everybody in the story around Jesus, that's the story. We've missed the mark. We're sinners saved by grace. And he's pretty good at helping us see and meeting us in those, in those places. Most of us, um, we walk through life, we, we attempt to build on our successes and our, and our strengths, and there's beautiful things about that, and I am, I am all about that. I love, I love uh, growing and getting better. But it becomes a problem when our strengths and the things that we want to highlight and the things that we want to project, when those things become a barrier to what's actually happening underneath the surface. So when you're projecting your strengths and the things that you're good at and the things that you're winning at, and you're doing that to keep people from meeting you in your place of need, you're actually suffering. You're not thriving. Are you with me? In those places we actually isolate ourselves and we become very, very alone because we have a hard time sharing what's going on under the surface. I'm guilty of this. Maybe you have that experience too. Katie's an ER nurse and she comes home with some pretty gruesome stories. And sometimes I'm just like, that's enough, I'm good. (laughs) But here's, here's something I know about her work. Uh, as an ER nurse, when somebody comes in with a trauma, when they come in with some sort of wound, her job is to assess the nature of the wound. It's not helpful for Katie as an emergency room nurse for somebody to come in with a a gaping wound and her just to go, whoa, and then wrap a bandage around it and say go home. That actually will create more problems and they'll come back and visit her later (laughs) Because when we do that with with an open wound, when we don't address it and we just try to bandage it, it gets infected and it gets worse and it begins to affect the rest of the body. Tracking with me? I had a friend uh, who was mowing his lawn. (laughs) This is going to be good. He's mowing his lawn and he started backing up and he hit his tomato planter, tripped and fell and pulled a lawnmower over his foot. <laughs> exactly. Luckily, so his wife calls me because she's kind of squeamish about that kind of stuff. I think you might have been working. That's why you didn't go because I would have sent you. <laughs> uh, I, I, Brooks is in the hospital. Uh, he's done something to his foot. You know, she didn't even know what the extent was. She just saw the shoe that was, like, dismantled. (laughs) And so I get to the ER room, and here's my buddy sitting on a table with his foot up, and he's missing, like, half of his toe. Just gone. And and as I'm sitting there, the doctor comes in. And this is forever etched in my mind, because it was gross, and I'll try not to be too graphic, but... The doctor comes in to assess what's going on, and he does so by grabbing the toe that is half there and squeezing it and digging in it to see if there's anything inside of it, to see if there's dirt or debris, and he's like spraying solution on it to try to clean it all out, and I'm like... Ugh. <laughs> And Brooks, I mean, it's numb, so he can't feel it, but he's watching it happen, and I'm watching him go, like, dude, are we going to just yak together watching this whole thing? But but here's the thing. The doctor was doing what is important to do. He's assessing the nature of the wound. He's cleaning it out. He's making sure that he's addressing what needs to be addressed so that there can be healing. Thank goodness, Brooks, you know, you've got half a toe that works okay. Praise God, it healed up. (laughs) Jesus... He does this kind of work with us. God so loved the world that he looked down on a people who were lost and confused and broken and suffering and caught up in their sin. He's well aware of the wound. He's well aware of the wrongdoing. He's well aware of the waywardness. And he entered in and he sat at a table with people and he extended grace and forgiveness. Friends, that's the story we're a part of. We don't necessarily do ourselves a favor when we try to live in a different story that that Jesus just wants you to not act like you have any issues. He actually invites us into a relationship where we can bring our lives. We can learn so much from the woman in this story. She was not unaware of her past and Jesus identifies her life as she had a lot of sins says that in the text. She was aware of that. And she brought herself. The courage that it took this lady to enter this room blows my mind. She enters in and comes to the feet of Jesus in her brokenness. And there's something that she could grasp that most people couldn't around Jesus that he he came to forgive. And she's so moved by that that she wept at his feet and washed his feet with her hair and anointed his feet. She worshiped Jesus. Here you have the Pharisee going, I'm going to help you out, Jesus. I'm going to help you discern because obviously you're not a prophet. And here we have the woman saying, I don't have anything that I'm bringing to this table, but you are everything. I just want to be at your feet. Last point, <laughs> and I worship team, you guys can join me. Jesus helped Simon see the power of forgiveness. So he helped him see himself. He helped him understand that he needed forgiveness. And then in this woman's story, he, he demonstrates that she had been forgiven so much and she received the forgiveness of Jesus on a level that he couldn't comprehend. And because she understood her need for it and received it, the way that she expressed Her love was great because she was greatly forgiven. The power of forgiveness, the power of understanding that we're sinners who come to a Savior who acknowledges our wrongdoing and yet gave his life for us. When we grasp that, that we miss the mark, that we don't have it together that we can't right the ship, that we can't save ourselves, that we can't mend and restore, but there's somebody who came to do that. When we grasp that and we receive an unconditional love that makes no sense that we don't deserve, but it's poured out lavishly on our lives, when we receive that, it's amazing how that affects the way you relate to other people. Because how could we possibly receive Grace and forgiveness and mercy and love and kindness and patience and gentleness from our God and our Savior, and not extend it to the people that are around us. When we see ourselves correctly in the story, when we see what we bring to the table and what Jesus brings to the table, and we understand that it's not our right doing, it's His righteousness. And we surrender. There is a power that can operate through our lives to the people that we spend time with. And we don't love the people in our lives, our spouses and our friends and our community and the guy on the road that just cut you off. We don't see them as a problem. We see them as people that need the love of Jesus. We don't see our spouses and our friends as as people that are a complication or a barrier or something to what we want. We see them as the greatest avenue we have to express the goodness and the kindness of God and the forgiveness of Jesus. If he's given it to us, we give it away to other people. When you you walk in that... When we when we do have a right view. And you just want to just lay down and, and say, Wow. 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 Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I just want to like I just want to sing about how good you are. It's the only thing I want to do. And maybe as he transforms us, as he forms our hearts, as he teaches us about his great love, maybe that's the thing that gets expressed. And as Jesus said, they're gonna know you by the way that you love one another. He told his followers, listen, they're gonna, you're gonna be marked by a love that's otherworldly because you've experienced it from me. And as you walk in that, people are going to look at your community and at your relationships and go, I don't fully get what's going on here, but that's different. How? I'll tell you how. Let me tell you about Jesus. (laughs) Let me tell you about a God who loves us enough to enter our mess and to mend our wounds and restore us and heal us. Will you pray with me? Why don't you stand to your feet as we get ready to... Respond, Lord, this morning uh, we're humbled to be in your presence as we come to the table and we sit before a holy and righteous and perfect God. We're, we're aware, we're well aware that we've, we missed the mark most weeks, most days. And we need you. And teach us how to live with a heart that's open, with eyes that are opened by your goodness and grace, with hearts that perceive and understand who you are and how you're working. Guide us in that. We love you this morning. We worship you. We pray this in your name. Amen.